Welcome to the State of the Arts podcast, where we speak to artists and creative thinkers from the north of England about their work and the world of the arts in general. In this episode, I was lucky enough to speak with uh, Chris Illingworth of Go Go Penguin, the Mercury Prize-nominated, Manchester-based experimental jazz group. Um, I saw these guys at Blue Dot Festival last summer, and it completely blew my mind. For my money, they're one of the best bands in the country right now. So, of course, I was very grateful to speak to Chris over a Zoom call about his work in a bit more detail. In June, the band released their fifth album at what is probably the most challenging time for the music industry and artists in years. I started off by speaking to Chris about what it was like releasing an album in the middle of such a bizarre moment in history. Have you um, had much of a like a different response, you think, compared to the response you usually get that you can put down to um, the fact people are inside or the fact people aren't going out to gigs and maybe listening to music more? To, to be honest, I mean, the, the, the only way that I really get any sort of reaction or judge any reaction of it is by going out and playing it live. I never really involved myself with, um, you know, with reading any reviews or I, I don't look at the socials or any of that stuff. It's... Uh, I just find it easy to kind of keep distance from that, and it you know means I can keep doing what I want to do musically without letting that affect it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's strange that I do feel kind of disconnected from it, and because it took so long to actually release the album for different reasons, you know, it kept having to be postponed and delayed and things, and um, and whilst all of those reasons were important, you know, it just it was odd. You know, we've had this music kind of ready to go for for a while, and. And yeah, now the thing that kind of keep it exciting and fresh was getting out. Um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. yeah. Um, what you were just you were just, what you were just saying about you know the delay and um, what it's like releasing it under these circumstances. Did you guys have to make a decision? Was there a point where you were like, do we do we wait? Do we put it out during a pandemic? Do we try and get it out before things go into lockdown? Was there much of a sort of thought process behind what you had to do? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think the difficulty was it's it's not just down to what we want to do. There's so many people involved. You know, the, the big one was the label. And I mean, the label are very, very supportive, but, you know, they aren't just dealing with us. They're dealing with all their other artists that are on that label. And, you know, because mm. it's Blue Note. It's, um, it's a worldwide thing. You know, it's not just uh, about what Blue Note are doing in Europe, but what they're doing in America and Asia and everywhere. So, it, it did make it kind of complicated, you know, it did require a lot of thought being put into it because in a way, you know, we wanted to just put it out as soon as we possibly could. You know, there's that feeling of the fans have been waiting for it, you know, we've been waiting for it, let's just get the music out there. And then the flip side being, you know, maybe that's not the wisest thing to do, you know, there are other things that need to be dealt with right now. And, mm. you know, maybe, uh, you know, insensitive for some people, you know, there were big things going on, whilst for some people, you know, it's, like, like for me personally, you know, this whole thing's been kind of weird, but, you know, I've been very lucky getting to spend a lot of time with my son and with my wife, you know, and yeah. we've had good weather, so we've been sour in the garden and things like that. Whereas for other people, they're losing loved ones. Really, um, really, really difficult things that they're having to deal with. So it's that thing of balancing these issues and it's a, it's a really tough one. I mean, like with the live stuff, you know, we're still having to take that pretty much week by week because... Every territory is different. Every country is dealing with these things in different ways. Every, uh, 
idea of how we can go out and tour changes day by day. You know, yeah. it's not something we plan for and guarantee that things are going to happen. So, yeah, a lot of that stuff's really complicated and a lot more complicated than I probably thought it was going to be originally, but um, it seems to have worked out okay in the end. Yeah. It sounds like you guys are sort of, you might have to play it by ear um, a fair bit. I was wondering if you had much of a strategy for how to approach the coming months or what to do when venues start to open or what kind of venues that they do and don't want to play, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's really difficult to know because trying to think about how you can capture the atmosphere of what people want from a live event at the same time as keeping people safe. It's just, it's not, you know, there's no precedent for it. There's no, nobody knows. So, yeah. I mean, we do a mixture of gigs, you know, a mixture of venues, but like you think about the club gigs, <laughs> you can't expect people to all stand a couple of meters apart and, you know, even yeah. that, you don't know that will solve it. You know, if it's got air circulating in the room, is that going to spread it if somebody's got, the, you know, the virus or whatever? So I honestly have no idea. Mm-hmm. And what we've spoken to, spoken, we've had meetings with our manager and booking agents and people like that. And, you know, we've got other mates who are in bands and everyone's saying the same thing. We just don't know. I think it's difficult because at the same time, we're not, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like we've had really concrete uh, sort of advice being given to us by, you know, by the government or by people that potentially know what's actually going on. It's still, you know, a day by day thing where people are learning, scientists are advancing their understanding of what this thing's doing and how it spreads and what's the right way and the wrong way to kind of deal with it. So I think at the moment, you know, we've got to try and do what we can. You know, we've got to think ahead and be positive, but at the same time, we're trying to be very realist with looking at when we can get out and gig and as soon as we can and it's safe for us and for the fans and for the staff and for the crew, we'll do it. But mm-hmm. until that point, we've just got to stay at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I completely agree. And you're right about the club thing as well. I've got um, friends who are sort of involved in like the White Hotel Club yeah. in uh, Salford and I think they've basically said they're not interested in opening until they can do it the way they were doing it before because they don't want people to sort of have a rubbish time. Um, yeah. which maybe could be you know, the risk of doing a 40% capacity or whatever the limitation is. Absolutely, yeah. We've got no issue with how many people we play to. You know, it's the idea that it's the atmosphere that's generated by that reduction. You know, if everyone's got in the back of their minds the fact that, is this safe? You know, that, that's no way to kind of enjoy a, a night yeah. out. And that's the, the big thing for us as well that we've always said, is like the, the, the different venues make a difference but it's the atmosphere that we get from feeding off the crowd and then feeding off us it's not like it's a, a two-dimensional thing we're never it's never just about us sat, stood on stage or sat on stage playing to people it's the that cyclic thing of the reaction between us and and you share that experience together and that's probably the same for people in the crowd together you know it's mm-hmm. everyone kind of enjoying that experience and that collective thing so yeah. you can't have that it i don't know I think, you know, people streaming and stuff, it is great. You know, people need to still have art and entertainment and be able to share these things, but it's never going to be the same, unfortunately. And, uh, yeah, fingers crossed it can get back to normality soon because I think everyone needs it, don't you? No, I agree. Um, we had tickets. Um, well, I bought tickets for my parents and myself to see uh, see you guys at the Albert Hall in, well, it was meant to be May, and then it got pushed to yeah. November. And... Um, whether that whether that it sticks to November or not, we'll probably 
remains to be seen. But it was a Christmas present for last year, but it might be able to, I could probably double up and use it as a Christmas present for next year as well. Yeah, it's a tough one because, I mean, we, like we say, you know, we want to just get out and do it as soon as we can, but we'll have to just see what happens. I mean, I don't know. I think the, the way I've been thinking about it is like, you know, not that it's the same comparison in, in, in a lot of ways, but you think about major things that have affected people worldwide in the past, like a world war, and how, you know, there are, there are things that need to be done to keep together and keep that community and keep that spirit of togetherness, but there are bigger things that people need to do and look out for each other and, in this instance, you know, it's not like it's, um, you know, it's something that's uh, targeting us that we can sort of, you know, target back or defend against. It's like it's, you know, it takes people, regardless of who they are, race, creed, age, you know, all these things, you know. So I think, you know, people have just got to keep their heads down and try and look after each other. And, you know, we will get through it, but it's probably going to take a while. I, I don't think it's realistically going to happen before the end of this year. I think it would be... Um, I think it'd be a miracle if it does. But yeah, fingers crossed, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think you might, um, you sort of alluded to maybe not seeing much um, of like, the reaction to the album rather than as opposed to getting a reaction from, from the audience when you perform. But I think because of the nature of the music you guys make and the quality of the album that you've just put out, whether you realise it or not, I imagine your album release was um, you know, very comforting to a lot of people and it's always really good to just um, get such quality music contributing in some way to people um, getting something out of this time? I hope so. I mean, I always think, like, even if you've managed to do it for one person, that's something, you know what I mean? And, like, we, we did, um, like, a, it was a bit weird. We've never done anything like it. But the label suggested we did a vinyl listening party. You know, they put the, uh, the album up. It was being streamed live. And, um, and it was nice because we were on there, all three of us, we managed to coordinate it so that we were all on there, able to message back to people. And, mm. and it was really nice. I mean, I think that's the only sort of, example of that kind of reaction that I've had where, and it was immediate as well, some people who were listening to it for the first time. and It was really beautiful kind of, like you say, you know, being able to feel that, that connection. And even if it's with, you know, I don't know how many people were on there listening at the time, but the ones that were kind of chatting, even if it's that handful that you kind of have a little interaction with and that it can mean something to them, then, you know, it's important. It's, it's, what, it's what we're trying to do anytime, never mind when something terrible is going on, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's what we want to do all the time because you never know what people are going through as well it's you know it's good to have that there for people no, exactly i was gonna uh, talk for a bit about um the manchester jazz scene if you if if you will um yeah so you guys you originally were signed to to gondwana with uh, work, yeah. uh matt horsell i was just wondering if you had any sort of ideas about uh, opportunities available to aspiring jazz bands in manchester and if there's much of a vision that you you sort of have an insight of um, for jazz in Manchester? I think based on what we've seen, I mean, it's, it's a weird one for us in a way because we're quite, we're sort of distanced from it now because of the way that things have built for us over the last few years. We're not playing in the kind of clubs that we used to and those kind of like um, sort of DIY nights that people are putting on. But that was the big thing that got us started and that seems to be the thing that still goes on now. I mean, there's guys like FP Records and... Um, you know, like Anton and uh, Anton Hunter, Ben um, Cottrell, uh, those sort of guys that are running those sort of things that are um, still, you know, keeping that sort of DIY scene alive as well. And that was the thing that got us started originally. That was like the thing that gave us that kickstart of getting some gigs. And in a, in a city where there's a lot of music going on, but there isn't always 
the, at the time for us, there wasn't really the space where we could do what we were doing, where there were already nights that were just running that kind of thing, if that makes sense. I mean, I don't know, you know, we are part of jazz. We've obviously got jazz influences, but it's one of many. It's yeah. not like it just it's jazz where we could go and play a traditional kind of jazz club and get away with it. But at the same time, we couldn't go and play, you know, dance clubs or we couldn't go play, you know, at the time somewhere like Gorilla, it would have been too big or, yeah, yeah. you know, so finding these people that are putting on these nights where it's very inclusive, very open-minded, the audiences are there. People want that kind of music where it's got that, like you're saying with Gondwana, I mean, you know, you look at what Matt's doing now. Originally, he started out just having a place to put his own music out. He got us on board, and then that just picked up and picked up and picked up. And, you know, he's doing great now, but everyone's different on that label. They do have that, you know, foot in the door where, you know, they've got in the jazz world, but then they've got all these other styles going on as well. And I think it's, it's that that did it for us. And I think as long as that scene's still alive, There'll always be that opportunity for these bands to kind of come up and make their name. And um, I think the great thing about Manchester for us was that, and, and I think it's still the case, it's very inclusive where it's almost like a family. Everyone knows each other. Everyone keeps in touch. Everyone helps each other out. You know, if anybody, uh, you know, we, we know people back then that are still gigging, still out there, you know, playing. And and it's, it's nice to be able to have that connection and that feeling that the city's small enough that, you know each other, but big enough that lots can happen. And uh, I mean, yeah. I don't know what it's like, you know, people, whether it's the same places like London and that, but I think that's one of the big differences I think that might be happening where it's close enough and the community's tight enough and it, you know, kind of feeds itself, you know, it helps and keeps it going and supports itself a little bit. Yeah, do you, do you ever feel uh, a bit funny when people call you a jazz band? Or do you, uh, prefer I don't mind. Yeah, it's it's a weird one because I think it it used to almost. I worried that I was coming across where I was being defensive as if I was going, "Don't call it jazz." You know, it's like I really don't mind. It's like it's it's more I trying to get that point across to people of explaining that it's not a defensive thing, but I don't mind what people call it because it's for other people to call it that. Yeah, yeah. The same whether people like the music or don't. It's obviously nice when people do, but if people don't, it'd be crazy of me to think that there aren't going to be people who hate music you know yeah. there's music I, music I hate same with any kind of art it's very very personal so I think in that same way these sort of descriptions they're useful to an extent but you know it's like when people talk about classical music I mean I'm from a classical background but you know classical music and it kind of parcels up all this music that spans you know centuries that everything from you know medieval music all the way through to really out there contemporary classical stuff and it's it's useless as a description you know to say oh i like classical music or don't like classical music doesn't really mean anything it's it's like well do you like everything ranging from you know the 1500s through to now yeah and it's um and the same with jazz you know you look at you know it's only it's, it's far less time that jazz existed but it's so diverse so you know uh, chaotic in the way that it's evolved and you know you look at sort of bands now that get a jazz label and they're very very different from each other and, and yet they're existing in this same era of jazz you know yeah. it uh, doesn't really feel like it's a particularly useful label and the same goes for everything else you know we talk about electronic music it's like well what does that mean you know you're talking about you know weird experimental uh, stuff that's, you know from like uh, Stockhausen style stuff or you're talking about uh, John Hopkins or Aphex, so you know it's um, it's difficult. So 
I think it's just, I mean, we've talked about it in interviews before, but the main reason we avoid it is just because it gives us freedom. Yeah. You know, when we're, especially when we're writing, we don't want influences other than the ones that we, we don't want influences to create rules other than the rules that we dictate. Yeah. Um, and I think putting genres and labels on it, you just start boxing yourself in. So, um, yeah, I don't really mind, but I think it's difficult though, because like we've had that conversation before, and then you go, well, what, what do we call it? Because <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you describe it? Because it's useful to be able to say to your mates, especially like we've had a lot of people talk about how they heard about us through, you know, word of mouth mates just going, oh, you should check this band out. But you kind of think if you can't say to them, it's kind of jazz or it's kind of this, you know, what do you call it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess looking at, if you look at the sort of the venues or well, the places where I go to access jazz in, in Manchester, probably be banned on the wall. And amount of friends and the sort of yeah. the venues there seems to be less, maybe fewer venues and fewer well scenes sort of coming out of jazz clubs. Yeah, I think it's it's a weird one because I think there's something about, and I guess it maybe comes down to the labels again of what people think of when they hear the word jazz. Generally, I think there seems to be that thing that some of these sort of clubs that would call themselves a jazz club are playing up to that a little bit. So it's not really. It's going to sound like I'm being really bitchy right now, but it's not really pushing. It's not really experimental. It's not really out there trying to push where the boundaries are. And that's what needs to happen if the music evolves. That's what happened with jazz in the first place. You know, it's what happens with any great kind of art form is where it kind of, as soon as it sort of settles a bit, it starts to push and expand and, and go off in different directions. And that's where you get all the different branches of that going off into different places. And I think it's... Um, you know, I guess maybe there's an element of these clubs have to keep the business going and they've got a certain type of person that's going to help keep that business going so they play it safe. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, you've got the scene where it's the, the smaller nights, the clubs that can afford to go, you know, there's somebody who's a bit, uh, you know, entrepreneurial wanting to like put on their own night. Like Nick's done the same. I mean, he put one on, um, what's it called over in uh, in uh, Levensune? Um, uh, he, he called it called the night a mix-up. Mm. Um, what the heck was the place called? It's just like a working men's club, you know. They've got like snooker tables in there, bowling green out at the front, you know. And he's doing really well. The guy who runs it now, but Nick, unfortunately, hasn't had the time to do it with you know things being the way they have been with the band. Yeah. But on a night where it was like three different bands, um, each doing a set, and you'd have everything from. There was one night where I played some uh, like Steve Reich and loads of minimalist solo piano stuff, and then did some duo stuff with a friend and. And then you'd have a, an Afrobeat orchestra on after it, and then you'd have some MCs, you know, and like a DJ, you know, and it's like, and, and the crowds would come, you know, it was always packed out because there were people that want to hear all those different things. And yeah. the sort of jazz stuff that was going on at that in the same way that when we were starting out, it was places like Sandbar, um, what's the one Whittington called? Uh, Fuel? Fuel, yeah, yeah, doing the noise upstairs, you know, Anton putting that night on, and you know, things like that where, you know, there were, there were bands that would perhaps have that jazz label in the way that we do, but doing something totally different, doing something that's yeah. out there where you wouldn't get them in that kind of stereotypical place that calls itself a jazz club. Yeah. And it, because I think that, again, another example of why it's like the labels aren't that great. You know, you say to people, you know, it's jazz and they're like expecting, you know, something that's going to be on a jazz club that's a bit more traditional, playing it safe. Mm. And they've missed out on some of this stuff that's actually like you say, perhaps closer to hip hop or perhaps closer to, you know, some sort of experimental or electronic or something like that. But 
maybe it's just it's played by real instruments, people on real instruments, and you know it's got uh, some acoustic elements to it, so it gets these kind of labels, and it's it's good that yeah, it's, it's just it's, it, I think it's those places that are still going to be the ones that keep that going, that keep that yeah, keep that kind of life and uh, opportunity for those sort of bands, and I think as yeah. long as that happens, always those bands will always come along. Do you know what I mean? I think that's all it really takes. The kind of bands that are doing that, they don't really need a big platform at first. You just need that space where, you know, we did it where it was just our mates originally coming to watch us. And then gradually, you know, a few more people hear about it, a few more people hear about it. Before you know it, it's big. You know, it's, um, do, you think, kind of... do you think the, uh, the, the sort of DIY circuit you're kind of describing gets um, like the coverage it should in... Um, well, just as, as much as it probably could do to support I think, it. No, I think it, it could do with more. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's it, it's it's a tough one to it, yeah, it's a tough one to know what to do really with it because I think it gets the the channels, but in the same way that the channels that they be putting it out are almost a little bit DIY themselves. You know, it's that same mm. thing where that that community and that circuit and it does help make some noise about it. But it's a shame. I mean, I don't. Know, I've seen. You know, I've seen a few things where you get like things like the MEN picking up on some of the things like that, where it does occasionally get a little bit more um, exposure. But I guess it's, it's easier for a lot of people to play it safe, though, isn't it? It's the same with the bands that are making this music. You know, they're, they're taking a risk by doing that. They're taking that gamble that there are going to be, like we did, that there are going to be people out there that want to listen to it in the first place. Mm. It's the same you know, if it's a, a paper that are trying to, you know, put out, you know, they're still having to try and keep the readership, they're still trying to have to keep, um, you know, their income coming in that keeps them going. So, you know, do they take the risks or do they play it safe? You know, and I guess that's yeah. the, uh, all these people always have to take. And luckily there are still people that are well up to taking the gamble and the risks, you know, it's like, that's why I think about the amount that I've had to take. I've had a lot of luck along the way, but, you know, I've had to make sure I prepared so that I was ready for when that book came along mm. and I'd be ready to take the risks and, you know, I think that's the same for these people. I think, you know, the coverage, it could be more, but realistically, I don't think it'll happen because some of the people that could do that, they're just going to play it safe. You know, mm. they want to look after themselves at the end of the day. Yeah. I guess you've always got to consider what any additional promotional work is, is hoping to achieve. Is it just trying yeah. to create buzz around one thing without wanting to change it too much? Um, I also think, and you, know, you might, I don't know if you, if you agree, but, um, the UK people talk talk about the UK jazz scene, and um, I wonder if you think there should be more differentiation between the London jazz scene and the other jazz scenes in the UK because I think yeah, you guys are a very different beast to say uh, Ezra Collective, um, yeah. and you know they uh, you know, London's got its, uh, its own story and its own you know, like you say the community that sort of feed into one another. But um, do you ever think that it's yeah, there should be uh, different ways of talking about the UK jazz scene, or do you think that Manchester maybe shouldn't be using the same breath as London or gets overlooked in a way? I don't know. I mean, with, with regards to that, all I can really talk about is from my experience of when I've done interviews with people from abroad and they talk about it, as, like you're saying, as mentioning it as the UK jazz scene. That's the kind of reference I've heard to it. And I think it's difficult... For, for us to kind of look at it from their perspective because we're looking at it from within the UK you know so to, to look at it from the outside it's like um, perhaps they see it more as a, a collective thing because they're looking at 
the output from the country as a collective thing. Whereas mm-hmm. for us, you know, we're very much, you know, I mean, we're, you know, able to see what we're doing up in Manchester compared to what's going on in London. But I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that it's, it's those external influences. And I think they're harder to see when you're the one to having those influences, influences kind of uh, influence you. <laughs> I can't think of the right words for that. But, you know, we've, we've been asked, um, do you think living in Manchester plays a role in the way that your music sounds? And I think it probably does, but we don't recognise how necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you, if we tried to really think about how it's doing that, I don't think it, we would really get to the depth of it and that it would actually change anything and be of any benefit to us because it's something that filters in and just becomes part of us individually and then part of the music. And I think potentially that's probably what's going on in London. It's, mm. you know, it, it might be something about the... We always have the joke that people ask us, do you think, you know, the Manchester rain plays a part in it? That's like one that, you know, when it's journalism from overseas, it's like, oh, you know, it's that stereotypical, oh, it's always raining in Manchester. But maybe it does. Maybe, you know, everything right down to the climate, the buildings, the architecture, the lifestyle, the people, all of these things could be playing a role. You know, that's what all we're doing is essentially trying to draw from our experience in life and those things will be playing a part. So I think, I don't think it, it feels, I don't think there's any major benefit to it being differentiated between from an outside point of view i think if people want to call it you that's seen i think that's probably fine i think within that then if people are interested enough they'll start to break that down further they'll start to look at look at it in more detail in the same way that you know if if i was introduced to um you know like we've we've done quite a bit of playing over in japan we've done some uh gigs over there we've done some work with uh uh, you know, so like hearing other jazz musicians in Japan and then other musicians from different fields within Japan. And it's very, very different. And you can look at that as going, that's the Japanese scene. But then as you break that down further, as we've started to meet people out there, as we've started to look at um, the way that different bands are behaving, it's no different to what's going on here in terms of everyone's doing something a bit different. Everyone's got their own angle. Everyone's got their own influences and their own background. And it's easy to look at it kind of from a, an outside perspective just as one thing and then not realising that there's all these different faces to it and different intricacies to it. So I think, um, I think for the people that are interested enough to want to do that, they'll do that anyway. And I think aside from that, it doesn't really harm it, I don't think, to kind of go, here's a scene that belongs here, here's a scene that belongs here. Because um, maybe there are things that from an outside perspective as well seem almost quite... Uh, across the board you know maybe there is something about the UK jazz scene that has a particular sound where we probably like you saying we're very different from Ezra uh, you know with the way that we play but from an outside perspective maybe there's something about that that makes it seem British I don't know maybe it's just difficult for us to see because we're part of it I don't know no, yeah I guess if you as, as you say if you're not conscious of any like, particular local or regional uh, identity then you're probably not going to be so aggrieved if someone's like not, or they're not recognised yeah. as like a Manchester scene or they're not trying to sort of uh, identify differences between London and Manchester or Leeds or other parts of the UK. So well, I think with what you're saying there, it definitely is like something to do with it. Because like, I think with what we do and where we draw influ- influences from, it's so broad, you know, we're not worried about, um, you know... It, it's interesting to know the culture and the kind of background behind it, but we're not bothered what that culture or background is. So if we find some music that's from 
Japan or we find some music that's from you know Africa or we find some music that's from London or wherever it, if it's something that feeds us and gives us something that we can play off or that, that we can find some uh, fun or enjoyment or inspiration from then, then we'll use that you know that becomes a part of us so I think that kind of means that we've got the only identity we have is Go Go Penguin and I don't think we'd say that that's we know that we're from the north of England as people but we don't think of the band that way the band's something separate almost you know we combine what we do individually but then that becomes Go Go Penguin and, you know we've always said that with the music that that's what we're trying to do in the way that we write everybody writes together everybody contributes there's no leader therefore it becomes something separate to each of us individually so I don't think there is that kind of cultural identity to, to the band. Obviously, we have one individually. You know, I know you know my culture, my background, and who I am. But yeah, maybe the band is something separate to that. So maybe um, it influences. Perhaps that's maybe somehow how it comes across from an outside perspective. Perhaps I'm not sure. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's interesting what you say about your your influences because you know if you see um, reviews of your work or descriptions of like what kind of music you make, it's like. Oh, there is much. Uh, they're in, in, you know, they're as much uh, Debussy as they do Space Twin, and yeah. I've wondered if there's anything that the three of you just don't like. Is there any genre that you're like, I'm not asked about that? <laughs> <laughs> There'll be loads of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it's difficult to say because there are things. That I, could, I mean, I, I'm, I'd say I'm not a big fan of pop, but then you talk about well, what is pop, and then there's definitely some things that would come under that that kind of general label that I do like. So mm. it's difficult. It's, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I really love a lot of hip hop, but you know, I hear a lot of uh, like mumble rap and things like that. That sounds just, that doesn't do it for me. But again, you never know whether there's going to be something that just has like an element in there that, that you can go actually, that's pretty cool. You know, there's something in that that's actually interesting. I started getting really into Kendrick Lamar over the last few years and, you know, there are elements of some of his music where he might use trap, uh, you know, things like that, which again, if I listened to something that would heavily kind of define itself as trap, probably wouldn't be my kind of thing. But when he combines it with some of the elements that he does, maybe some, um, I mean, the way he rhymes and then the way that he might incorporate stuff that's maybe more almost jazz and maybe, you know, harking back to those kind of influences for him. It's that combination that makes it interesting. You know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. We, we tried to do some. I mean, uh, the example that comes to mind for me on the on the last album is Atomized because we started that where it was a, a garage beat that Rob had been playing around with, and I think he was literally like he wanted to kind of learn stuff that he'd not done before. You know, he wanted to push himself out of his comfort zone, so he started learning to play some some garage beats. And again, it's not something that I think any of us have really been really into as part of that kind of garage scene, UK garage scene, but. Again, there are elements of it that played to, to what we liked and what we thought we could draw from and then combine that with a kind of more dubby bass line. And then I was thinking more kind of a combination of classical style runs, but then combining that with thinking like an arpeggiator or a synth and seeing how I could fuse those two things together. And it, you think about those alone, I mean, there's four totally separate things that you can put together and it becomes something separate. And it's yeah. the same if I think the stuff that maybe doesn't really do it for me is when it's just a little bit uh, two dimensional or even one dimensional when it just goes, I am this, I am this one thing. And it feels a little bit too, maybe it's that it kind of isolates people. It kind of means 
unless you really like this, you're not going to be into it. And maybe that's cool. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of rambling, I'm thinking out loud, but maybe there's something cool about that. Maybe that is, you know, if it defines itself so solidly and it just keeps to one idea, it's quite a big statement. But at the same time, I don't think it, it's not very inclusive and it doesn't allow people to um, interpret, you know, as much in their own way. And we hear that with a lot of people that, like our stuff, will say they can find their own ideas in it, to take their own meaning from it. It's why we don't, you know, make titles that are really explicitly, this is what this tune is about. We try and keep it a bit more abstract. It's nice that people can draw their own ideas, but I think that's what really gets me interested. Uh, you know, if, if it would generally be labeled as pop, but within that there are all these different ideas and all these different influences that have been combined, then I'm probably going to like it. It's probably going to be, or I'm, or I'm at least going to find it interesting. Whereas I think if it's very much just one idea, it, it's going to quickly get tedious, I think, and it's probably, unless I'm heavily into that to begin with, probably not going to want to listen to it. No, fair enough. Do you, um, I imagine you guys can sort of see the sort of strands that connect various genres when, you, when you're listening to music and that's how you're going to approach making your own music. Um, did you have an influence for that? Is there a certain, is there a composer or an artist that takes a similar approach that you guys think that's a really sick way of doing things, let's try and do something similar? To be honest, I think the only reason we end up doing that is because the only thing that we set out to do is we try and make sure that the music expresses something. So, uh, and on a kind of fundamental level, so not thinking like we're trying to tell people a story, but so much as we're trying to convey some feelings or some emotions, because that's the core of art, I think. It's like, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the same way as like if you, if you have a good argument with somebody about or a discussion with somebody, you're emotionally attached to these ideas. That's why you're having that discussion. You feel strongly enough one way or another about a subject, about some sort of subject matter. And I think that's what good art does. It presents that, that feeling, that idea, that, uh, that thing ready for discussion, ready for people to go, I feel like this about it, or that makes me think about this, or it makes me uh, picture this or feel this a certain way about something. And I think yeah. what we then try and do is when we've got a... a you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with a small idea or a sketch that then we think about that kind of, what that feels like, what it means, what it's kind of representing, and then use whatever we need. So if it feels like um, it wants loads of energy, then maybe subconsciously we start drawing from drum and bass because we've listened to drum and bass. And it's, you know, the energy that that can give, the drive that it has, the, the purpose of that music to make people dance, to make people want to get on their feet and move. Whereas if we're um, thinking more, uh, peaceful or trying to be more gentle or more kind of atmospheric maybe we you know because I've played things like Debussy maybe those influences then kind of filter in and, you know I'll think more about that kind of romantic era um, early modern era classical stuff so I think it's we're using it because it's what is necessary to convey what we're trying to achieve I don't think we consciously go um, we like these kinds of music let's pull from those influences and I think it, when that does happen as a starting point, maybe, you know, there was a, a starting point for Rob with that garage beat, even though he was doing it, he'd been learning those beats because he wanted to learn something new because he wanted to kind of push himself out of his comfort zone. It wasn't because he was going, I want to write a tune that has a, a garage beat at the core of it. I don't think there was a, a fundamental starting point for it in that way. Um, but that ended up filtering into a sort of thing where we went, it's quite a cool beat. It's got some really good energy to it. Mm. What feels like, he wants to draw that energy to it and 
because of the way that he was playing, it was quite dark. So, uh, you know, we started kind of improvising some of this kind of dubby bass line around it just because that has that darkness to it, that kind of uh, depth to it. So, yeah, it tends to be subconscious decisions, really. You know, I know it sounds weird, but we never really discuss those things much. We just kind of play them more now. And I think a part of that's that we've known each other for as long as we have. So maybe, you know, five years ago, we would have needed a discussion about some of that. We would have needed to sit and chat about it. Whereas now it's much more, we know each other, we know what we're trying to achieve together. But yeah, it tends to be, it, I think the, the best analogy I heard a while ago is it's the idea that you're trying to, if you're trying to build a piece of furniture, you use the tools that you need, not the tools that you have. So, you know, you might have a chainsaw, but you're not going to carve a beautiful, intricate, uh, you know, table leg with a chainsaw just because you've got the chainsaw. Um, so it's that idea that, you know, you don't want to um, use things just for the sake of it. You, you think about what is you're trying to achieve and then find the things that you need to be able to achieve that. Yeah. Um, you sort of referring to the, uh, the, the garage beat or like the... Um... Um, yeah. Is there any difficulty there when you're trying to recreate? Because obviously you're doing a lot of there's a lot of looping involved with um, what you guys do in order to, as you say, sort of like recreate electronic sound. Um, can that be difficult um, in a way that it is usually playing yeah. <laughs> a, a usual instrument? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, one of the sort of in jokes on the on the last one when we were working on on new stuff was the guys that keep saying to me can you play that at the same time? Because <laughs> I kept playing so many layers at once where, like you say, it was to give the impression of looping or to give the impression of almost like um, like sequencing. I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Underworld and bands like that. And when I was a kid, and you know, I didn't have the, the knowledge back then to realise how complex what they were doing was. You know, So I, you know, to be able to have a desk that they're able to kind of gradually filter in and trigger all of these pieces of hardware that are each making a different layer they each different piece but i guess it's you know it's like it's like an orchestra isn't it it's like they're the conductors they're just bringing in these different parts of the orchestra but just it's just electronic so that was always like a big influence of that idea of how can i do that at the piano and i remember i had a teacher at college who he said um when you're playing something on the piano imagine you're a full orchestra imagine you know think about what instrument might be playing this top line so is it uh, brass is it trying to be really harsh is it trying to be really kind of crystal clear or is it more lyrical is it trying to be like the string section you know playing really warm and really smoothly and and it was a really interesting idea to kind of think like that about an instrument that essentially is quite percussive you know you press buttons and it literally has hammers they call you know so they've even called it hammers that are hitting the strings it is completely a percussive instrument and thinking about that as a vocalist or as a string player or as a uh, a percussionist but a different kind thinking of the piano as, as if you're playing the drums you know so that then you know when I gradually got older you know I'd apply that to electronic ideas as well so I was thinking how can I play in a similar way to how Underworld would structure a tune but playing the piano so yeah it was literally like you know play a layer but then rather than actually using a sampler keep playing that layer and put another layer on top of it you know and it does make it difficult because you know you're trying to some of the things that we write, we'll write it without worrying at first about whether it's possible or not on the instrument. So we'll, you know, we'll write it on Ableton or Logic or whatever, or, or we'll just literally go, oh, that's a really nice top line. That, that feels like it'd fit. How do I now play that? <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's really fun to do. But then, and then that applies between the three of us. You know, that's something we worked on more this time with that luxury of having a bit more time to kind of develop ideas. 
Nick and I, we, we haven't really spent a lot of time in the past just because of time limitations of going, how can we properly interweave the piano parts and the bass lines? And maybe the bass part can be, not that it's not an important role to have it as a bass line, but could it be the melody? Could it be that we literally flip it on its head and the bass is playing from the top, the piano is kind of, you know, creating the foundation. Yeah. So trying different things and seeing what we could achieve with them. It is, it's really difficult. It takes time consuming. It's, uh, it makes you feel, you know, like back when you were a student and you think, oh, I'm just shit. I just can't do this. You know, it's like it goes back to that feeling sometimes where it's like, am I going to actually be able to do this? But yeah. that's what's fun. You know, it's, it's, uh, Nick said it to me the other day. He's, um, he's been learning a bit more piano. And he said it's really nice to go back to that feeling of seeing more of a progression, like you're learning more and more because it's so early days, you know, when you're at that stage, each day is a much bigger step than what it is now for us. Unless we kind of do push ourselves out of these comfort zones. If we just kept practicing every day, yeah, we might get a little bit better. Maybe my fingers would be a bit stronger, you know, play a little bit faster, but what does that achieve? I'm not bothered about playing stronger and faster. I'm bothered about playing something that I've never played before and potentially somebody else has never played before. So, without having that kind of attitude of like, can we push ourselves beyond what we're capable of? That's the, I think that's the important thing. That's what we keep trying to do. So yeah, it's difficult, but it's a lot of fun. Definitely a lot yeah. of fun. Do you guys ever think about um, experimentation with instruments or do you guys just want to, are you, are you quite not content, but are you, do, you, do you just want to sort of explore as much as possible with what you've already um, been playing with? I think you've kind of got it a little bit there. It's, it's, it, we do, but I think what we end up finding is, as an example, I mean, like for me, I, I love, I love playing around with synths. I love experimenting with that, and there'll be ideas I'll maybe play, and I'll go, but I wonder if I can do it on the piano. And that's what it kind of comes back to. It's not that we don't have a problem with, we don't have a problem with using synths, but we don't feel like it's been necessary yet. And that's kind of been one of the. Again, without discussing it and deciding upon it, but we sort of ended up making it a bit of a rule that we don't do anything unless it's necessary. So what a tune may have originally sounded like, if you listen to kind of like the, um, the kind of early sketches of tracks, the amount of material that gets added to it is probably, it's not that it's less, but there's so much of it that's stripped away. All the things that are unnecessary, all the things that aren't essential, we take it away from the music because... If it's not doing anything, why keep it in there? If it's not meaning anything, why keep it in there? So, you know, one thing I've been experimenting and finding more fun is using effects pedals, um, you know, guitar and bass effects pedals, but using them on the piano. And even with that, we, Joe and I, uh, Joe, the uh, sound engineer, you know, we, we spent, I don't know how long, trying every effects pedal we could get hold of. We had God knows how many, all plugged in, you know, chaining them together and, cycling different ideas, putting them through samplers, putting them into uh, Ableton or whatever, trying to do post-production stuff with it on top of that. So much of it just didn't work. It didn't feel good. It didn't feel like it was adding anything that interesting to what was already there. And what felt more interesting was going, um, you know, we've, we've got an, an acoustic piano. What haven't I done with that piano yet? You know, the, the easy kind of, ways to look at it. you know you think about people like john cage who started putting nuts and bolts in there it's mm. the same thing that's that's like a you know 0.1 percent of what you can do with the instrument you know it's um there's an amazing guy called clavicon who i don't think's got as big as 
as, as he showed in my eyes. I think he's brilliant, but he does a lot of prepared piano stuff, and it's mind blowing. I mean, the guy's got a on one track, he's got a pestle and mortar. I don't know which one's which, but like he's got the the bold part of it, and he's pressing it into the uh, bass strings of the piano and playing with his other hand, and it's um, it sounds like jungle. You know, it's like breakbeat and. It doesn't sound like a piano. It sounds like a, an electronic drum kit, or a you know a sequencer or whatever. You know, like it's it's absolutely mental. And he's using a few pedals, uh, you know, some random stuff that he finds. Like he does one with toy soldiers. He does one with blue tack, I think, sticking it into the strings, and it's amazing. And I mean, the thing is, I mean, those techniques aren't necessarily that great for us because the time it takes to prep, you know, to prepare a piano, I can't do that in between every track. You know what I mean? So. But in the same way, it's the element of the, the kind of essence of that. It's like, what can we do that is just altering this instrument rather than going, I could just get a synth that could do that, or I could just get uh, a MIDI controller hooked up to uh, you know a sampler that has all of these sounds already built in there. It just feels like, we joke about it saying it feels like cheating. It's not cheating, it's just, you know, it, it, that, that would work for other people and that would be, they would get enjoyment from that. I think I get more enjoyment out of the idea of, can I get up on stage with a, a, a classical instrument mm. and make it sound like we're playing dance music? It's kind of fun. Um, yeah. And I think there's just um, a lot more we can do with that yet. So it might be, you know, we, we might get to the next album, we might actually just go, you know, what we really want to use for this track is a synth or Nick wants to play electric bass or, you know, it could be any of that stuff, but I just don't think we've quite reached it. In the same way with uh, collaboration as well, you know, we get asked about collaboration and, we're well up for the idea of it, but on one side there's the time factor. You know, we, we struggle for time when we actually can work. We're either, you know, now is a weird exception, but, you know, we, we're either gigging or recording usually. Um, but the other flip side is we haven't found the need for it when we've been writing yet. We haven't gone, what this tune really needs is a vocalist or, you know, what this tune really needs is a, a another drummer or something, you know, like whatever it might be that we want to add to it. So down the line, you know, we're open-minded to it. There's no uh, aversion to it, but just haven't really found the need for it yet. Yeah. Uh, have you guys been um, have you guys been writing a lot in this period or writing at all? I've, no, I've, I've enjoyed having the opportunity to just do other things, really. I think, uh, I can't really speak for the other guys, but I know when I've chatted to Nick, he's been doing a bit of a similar thing. And it's it, it's been... We can't complain about it in any way because we're very, you know, I love doing what I do and I've been very lucky that the band's been as successful as it has, that we can go out and gig and we can travel and that we can uh, and record, keep recording albums that people want to hear that music. But it has meant that there's been a lot of sacrifices and it's the same for a lot of artists, you know, you, you make those sacrifices to, to do something that's hopefully important, you know what I mean? It's, um, it, that's what that that requires but the flip side is you know I've, I've, like i said i've just had a, a boy you know he, he was born last year he's just turned one recently i've had a lot of time to spend with him and i think how important it's been being around in that time where potentially before you know i was going to be away on tour for huge amounts of that time so the silver lining has been you know having all that time seeing him grow seeing him evolve and change and mm. um you know his own little character and then i've been doing you know getting out and doing some gardening you know it's something i've always wanted like we only moved into this house last year as well we decided that having a baby wasn't enough so we moved house and recorded an album all at the same time <laughs> just pile it all on at one go but um 
but it's been nice having a garden you know i've lived in flats before this and been able to have a garden that we can kind of make our own yeah and other things like cooking you know i've always loved cooking but and i've always tried to like learn new things but it's always been a bit of a we need to eat so i'll cook something rather than now it's kind of like i can i can try things out i can bake i can do other things so it's been nice kind of remembering you know that there are other things in life that we can do as well and i'm being quite lucky in a weird way to have the time to do that now and uh, you know find some time to to just relax and you know remember that there are other things in life as well yeah they're great if, if you want to um uh, i don't know sort of Give us an insight into what's happening over the next few months for you guys. I know you said, obviously, you just have to sort of wait, wait and play it by ear. Definitely, yeah. I mean, we've got a, a sort of shared calendar set up that we, you know, now and again, there's dates in there that maybe got forgotten to be taken out of the diary or that uh, that were potentially still supposed to be happening, but unfortunately have had to be cancelled. And it's gutting to see that, you know, when it comes up and we think, oh, we'd have been at, you know, I mean, we were going to be doing places like Brixton Academy this time, you know, and, Albert Hall again in Manchester and you know it's in the same way you know I am absolutely grateful to have all this time with my son and with my wife and all these things I'm doing but we we live to be in a band that's what we've set out to do that's what we've spent all our years trying to be good at and good enough to do so that we can do what we're doing yeah I can't wait you know fingers crossed you know I don't know like we said you know when we've chatted before I don't know how it's going to happen but it will happen. I think the thing is, we've all just got to be patient. You know, it's um, everyone's got to do what they can, and I think the main thing that the people can do is be there for each other, be supportive, don't be, uh, you know, essentially don't be dick for each other. You know, and remember that everyone's in it together, and yeah. just be patient. And when it all passes, people are going to want all of this as much as ever. You know, more than ever, people are going to want that connection again. Like we're saying, it's not just about art and entertainment that people want. We want that shared experience. So, yeah, when we can do it, the minute we can and it's safe for everyone, we'll be doing it. Yeah, and well, uh, that Albert Hall gig is going to be amazing because I think just, I mean, it's an incredible venue as it is, but I can imagine yeah. you're, 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 you you guys must feel that your sound is really suited to that sort of a place. We loved it. I mean, that, that, when we played it on that last UK tour, uh, when we did Home From Star, that's the first time we played there and, it's mind blowing. I mean, even you know, even being in soundcheck and just being like, you know, it's the sort of places that you dream about playing when you. I mean, I can't say I dreamt about that as a kid because I didn't know about that as a venue. I don't think it was a venue then, but you know, to be uh, when we did like the Royal Albert Hall as an example, you know, Manchester Albert Hall's up there with that as a, you know, we want to play that kind of venue. And but in the same way, you know, we, we say that about tiny little venues. There's a, a venue that, fingers crossed, you know, things will pass and that it won't mean that these sort of venues wiped out but there's a venue in uh, in uh, Czech Republic that we go to quite a lot now whenever we get the chance whenever we've got a new album out or whenever we uh, want to just play a small gig and it's called Jazz Club Tibet mm-hmm. and a guy called Vlad who runs it he's one of the nicest human beings I've ever met he's just so generous so loving and makes us feel so welcome and the crowd is amazing and it's I think he packs a couple of hundred people in there so it's sort of a small venue but it probably should only have about 100 people in there. It's one of those where everyone crowds in, everyone gets in cosy. And it's just amazing. The atmosphere is incredible. You know, I love playing there as much as I love playing Albert Hall. It's, um, yeah. you know, getting out on the road, it's all of those experiences. And it's going to be great. I mean, it's it's difficult thinking about it and talking about it in a way because it is, 
you know, you think about the little things like, you know, we were going to be doing a bus tour again uh, for like the UK and Europe stuff. And I've only done a couple of them now. And it's so much fun. It's the sort of thing that is one of the things as a kid, you know, I used to think you'd go to a gig and see the, the tour bus outside and be like, oh, you know, how cool would it be one day to do a, a tour bus gig? And, you know, and when we do it, it's, we're a family. We have more crew with us because we can travel together. So you've got your lighting engineer with us who we've been working with. We've got a monitor engineer who we've been working with. And you're a proper little family. You know, it's like um, brothers and sisters, you know, traveling and having a laugh and partying. And yeah, I miss it all. You know, it's, it's, it's a, real, a real shame. But big picture is there are bigger things going on right now there's stuff that people are having to deal with and if we all look out for each other stay patient mm-hmm. it'll pass and we'll get back out and we can do what we can do then and people can enjoy themselves hopefully yeah but i mean it sounds like you guys are uh you know sort of better positioned in in some ways because of you know what you've got to look forward to whenever you, you know the touring can commence again and obviously the album's coming out so people are still getting a buzz around that and yeah um, I, there's probably, you know, by some standards, it's probably quite a fortunate um, position for an, for an artist to be in right now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, we are very lucky that things have worked out as well as the Afros went. I mean, we see, it's not just other artists, but, you know, reading recently at the moment with the way things could go for a lot of venues, I mean, it's, yeah. it's terrible. I mean, it's, it's a dangerous topic of discussion to get into when it's talking about the politics side of it. I'm not the best, most informed person. So, you know, I know what I know and I know what I've tried to look at and read into, but I think it's a bit of a disgrace that this, the support just isn't there. You know, you look at a lot of countries getting the support that they're getting and unfortunately this country doesn't seem to be doing the same and it's, it's hugely important. Mm. I mean, like when we briefly talked, you know, you look at how it is after World War II and how important arts and culture were and the resurgence that came back after that point people need that it's like you know yeah you could argue it's not essential like food or like you know healthcare and things like that no but it's essential for people's well-being to have good entertainment and you know the risk is that there'll be just you know a load of cheap entertainment or just recycling of old entertainment and that's, it's not good. It's not good for anyone. It needs to be new. It needs to be now. It needs to be something that relates to people. Yeah. And the only way to do that is if you feed it, you need to give it what it needs to be able to, to stay alive and, to, and then to go further than that. It can't just stagnate. It needs to flourish. And, you know, the support has to be there for that. And uh, I think the difficulty we've found as a band, I mean, we, you know, we look for opportunities where we can kind of help and, and make you know whatever it might be whether it's making donations or show support but the issue we find is there are so many places that need that support and ultimately you know unless it's going to be dealt with in a more fundamental way by you know by the government and by the people that are actually going to be able to make big change it's it's going to be difficult you know all, all the little guys can do all that they want but unless those fundamental changes are made i think it's going to cause a lot of problems so you know, we'll keep doing what we can, and it's great that you know, like like same people like yourself, they're trying to make more awareness of it and, and trying to encourage support and, and and build, you know, these kind of networks. I think it's really important, and it's the best that we can all do right now. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll make enough of a noise that people will listen as well. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cool. And hopefully, we'll see Chris 
and the rest of GoGo Penguin on tour again very soon. Thanks a lot to Chris for speaking to the State of the Arts and thanks to everyone who's listened to this podcast episode. I, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, we have more interviews on the way for you with some other fantastic Northern artists. And in the meantime, keep an eye on our site and our social media to stay up to date with everything happening with arts and culture in the North.